Good morning. It's good to be back at Calvary. It's been a long time. It's been over 10 years since I've been back for a service. Um, actually, most of you might not know this, but I actually got my preaching license here at Calvary. And uh, Mark Blankenship actually prayed for me at the ordination service. So that was very special to me. And it's good to be back um, after so many years. I'm recently retired from the pastorate, but as you can see, I'm not retired. God won't let me retire. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I notice we don't have music this morning, but you're interested in the meat of the word. Is that correct? All right. So we're going we're gonna to talk about the word today. And we're, we have communion, so we're going to be talking about communion today. Um, and the meaning of communion, because communion is a very special part of my worship at the church. In fact, one time we went uh, two months without communion in the church I was attending, and, and I got really disappointed. I went to the pastor and I said, why didn't we have communion? And he goes, well, I didn't really feel up to it. I go, well, if you have to feel up to it, you'll never feel up to it. <laughs> Because communion is a part of getting together and worshiping the Lord together. And it was commanded by our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going we're gonna to pray now and seek the Lord. Um, if you remember, if you're uh, taking notes, pray for my wife Sherry. She's up in front. She's here. She's a trooper. But she's going in for procedure on Wednesday. She has a blood clot in her leg. And she was, she's going in for procedure uh, to try to clear up that blood clot. So pray for her as well. Um, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this time together. Lord, we just want to sit at your feet. We want to learn from you. We pray that you open our eyes that we may see. Open our ears that we may hear the word. Open our hearts that we may plant the word of God deep in our hearts for you to move in our lives and, and to be a part of our lives. Lord, we want you so much in our lives. And we want to, and we're here to just learn from you. Lord, we thank you and give you the glory and the praise and the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, a four-year-old child was in church, and the juice in the communion cup was passed. He was very interested in this, and he started to get up. His mother leaned over and told him that he was not old enough to partake in the communion. Later, when the collection plate came by, he ignored it. His mother again leaned over and tried to coax him to get a nickel out of him. And he stubbornly says, as, as a lot of kids would, folded his arms Meet and said, Google Pixel 6A If I can't cards, eat, I'm not Pixel paying. Plus amazing services in one easy subscription. Subscribe today at googlestore.com. One communion Sunday, my communion store prepared communion elements in her usual way. Or at least I thought it was in her usual way. When it came time to uncover the elements, the grape juice looked a little darker than normal. But I didn't think anything of it. And I promptly uh, distributed the cup and the bread for communion. Promptly on receiving the cup, each recipient's face had a peculiar, stunned look. When it came time for me to receive, receive communion, I discovered why the strange looks. It wasn't juice, grape juice, it was prune juice. One parishioner stated after the service, perhaps this is a div divine commentary on our spirituality. 
We need to loosen up. Amen. As you know, the Nazarene church has a, has a manual, and in the manual, it says that we believe that the communion supper instituted by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is a sacrament proclaiming his life, suffering, sacrificial death, resurrection, and the hope of his coming again. It's all tied up in communion. His death, his suffering, his life. You know, when you think about Jesus' life, we learned a lot from his life. In the Gospels, when you read the Gospels, you read about his life, how he loved, how he walked on this earth. So it's a celebration of his life. It's a celebration of his suffering, his sacrificial death, and his resurrection. And this is my favorite part, his hope of coming again. I'm looking forward to that when he comes again. Whether I go to be with him in death or whether I go just up in the air. I don't care either way. I'll be with him. It's a celebration. But sacrament always is an outward sign of what God did inwardly. Of those that have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Those that took the step of faith and said, yes, Lord, I'm going to follow you the rest of my life. It's, it doesn't save us. We celebrate two sacraments in the Church of the Nazarene. Communion is one. What's the other one? Does anybody know? Baptism. That's correct. Baptism. Baptism, the sacraments are, the two sacraments that we celebrate was instituted by Christ. That's what makes it a sacrament. And the second thing is that it, it's told by, Jesus told by, uh, tells us to do it in remembrance of him, to keep doing it. Many Christians believe baptism isn't important, but it is important. I know when I, when I did baptisms, I did it at the lake because I felt it needed to be a public declaration that, yes, I am a Christian. I am a believer. I believe that Christ died for my sins, and now I walk with him. Jesus says, if you're afraid to proclaim my name, then I'll be ashamed of you in heaven. But it's instituted by Christ, and it's a remembrance of the inward change that God has already done in our lives by the grace of God. But where does the Last Supper come, or where does the Lord's Supper come from? Where does communion come from? Well, as was read earlier, it comes from the, the Last Supper of Jesus, but it even goes back farther than that. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. Of course, Jesus did not call it the Last Supper. He called it the Passover meal. He had his meal. For three years, he had this meal with his disciples. And in Luke 22, 14 through 15, it says, When the hour came, Jesus and his disciples reclined at the table. And he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For three years, Jesus spent time with his disciples. And he had Passover meal every year at the Passover time. So why was this meal so special? It's because Jesus, on this side, on this fleshly side, he was, he was not going to eat this Passover meal with, him, with his disciples again. And it was very special to him. But let me explain the Passover. Because I think it goes back way back to the Passover time. 
You remember the Israelites, right? Of course, I know none of us were there. But they were slaves in Egypt. And they had hard labor. In fact, when they went into Egypt, there were 13 people that went into Egypt. And guess, by the time of the Exodus, they were over a million people. Over a million people. They got busy. And, and the Egyptians were afraid of them. And so God sent Moses. They cried out, and God sent Moses. Even though Moses was reluctant, they sent Moses to say, let my people go. But Pharaoh's heart, through all the miracles, got more and more hardened, and he wouldn't let Israel go. And so the last one was a doozy. I will send the angel of death to go throughout Egypt and kill the firstborn. And the only thing that will save them is the blood of a perfect lamb, an unblemished lamb painted over the post of the doorpost. But the interesting thing is, he didn't say just Israel. He said even if Egypt did it, anybody who puts the, the blood of the lamb over the post would be saved, would be passed over. And so they did that. They sacrificed the perfect lamb, the spotless lamb, each household, and placed the blood on the door. And when the angel of death came by, whoever had that lamb's blood would be free. They also had to eat the lamb, all of it. God was very specific about eating all of it. I want you to keep that in mind for a minute, because it's a very interesting parallel. They had to have their cloaks tucked in, sandals on their feet, and their staff in their hand, and be ready to go on the journey. But you notice, interestingly, the scripture I just read, they reclined at the table to eat the last Passover, signifying the work is going to be done. It's going to be complete. The scripture said this about the Passover, and that says twelve fourteen. This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance, a lasting ordinance. And this Passover foreshadows the last, slups, uh, last supper, excuse me, I haven't had much sleep last night. <laughs> the Israelites were freed from slavery, foreshadows the freedom from slavery that we had and we have through Jesus Christ. Because we're freed from our sins. And Romans 6, 17 through 18 says, But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you will hardly obey the form of teaching to which you were trusted. You have been set free from sin, and it becomes slaves to righteousness. Jesus became our sacrificial lamb. No more do we need to sacrifice a lamb in order for our sins to be covered. We are set free from our sins. Instead of the real lamb, Jesus took its place. This is my body that is given for you. This is the cup of the new covenant which is poured out for you. And when the time comes, whoever has the blood of Jesus Christ on the doorpost of his mind, soul, and spirit, the angel of death 
will pass over. It's important that we recognize that salvation is an important part of coming to the table. Accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our lives. And it's still a lasting, su lasting supper because Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Do it constantly. In fact, if you read in Acts, they would go from house to house. They would do it almost daily because they felt it was important. Luke twenty two nineteen says this, And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is the body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. What do we remember? Well, we remember his life, his suffering, his sacrificial death, and his resurrection, and the hope of his coming again. Interesting thing about the Passover. I don't know if any of you have been to a Passover supper or Passover dinner. But there's an interesting parallel between what Jesus did on the cross, and I'm not going to go into details about that, but let me just cover some of that. It fascinates me because I'm Jewish, and I love to hear those parallels because God, even back then, prepared for the coming of Jesus. The day before the Passover, the women and children would go through the house, and they would remove all specks of leaven which was yeast, which in the Bible signifies sin. They would remove it from every corner of the house, the floor, the countertops, the closets, everywhere. In fact, you wouldn't find in Israel, in any of the households in Israel, any speck of leaven, signifying that Jesus, when he came and when we accept him on that cross, but he died for our sins, he removed every bit of sin from our lives. And during the meal, they would take a large piece of unleavened bread and they would break it in two. And one they would wrap in a linen cloth and they would hide it in an obvious place. Jesus was wrapped in linen and put in a tomb. And they would hide it and the children would go find it. And they would hide it in an obvious place so the children could find it. Which means, which signifies that Jesus is easy to find. He's not far off. He's here. All you have to do is just accept him as Lord and Savior of your lives. It also signifies that Jesus made a comment. Those who come to him must come to him as what? Little children. Once found they would have this piece of unleavened bread for dessert, signifying that Jesus gives joy and peace as he comes into the heart of someone that accepts him wholeheartedly. Now, the Jews celebrate this every year, but they have no idea what they're celebrating. I actually ran a couple um, of these Passover meals, and it's fascinating to see the parallel. But what does communion mean to us? At the end of the supper, Jesus picked up a piece of bread and began to institute the very first observance of communion. And as I said, it was unleavened bread because there was no leaven found in Israel at the time of the Passover. 
1 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8 says this, Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast le- <laughs> excuse me, uh, that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Speaking of sin, get rid of the old yeast or leaven, so that you may be a new unleavened batch as real as you really are. For Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Therefore let us keep the festival not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So as I said earlier, the first step in observance of the Lord's Supper is that we must come to him to cleanse our hearts from sin and confess that Jesus is the Lord of our lives and the Savior of our souls. Through repentance of sin and receiving Christ, we are made ready to pick up the bread. Then Jesus blessed the bread. Then Jesus blessed the bread. No Jew would consider eating, eating a meal without first offering thanks to the Father for his abundant provision and providing food that was available. To not give thanks would be sacrilege. That's really where we get uh, saying grace before a meal. We cannot receive Jesus as Savior without giving thanks. We weren't giving thanks for the bread. They weren't giving thanks for the bread and the meal. That was already blessed. What they're giving thanks for, for the provision that God has provided for them. God provides everything we have. And we need to recognize that. God provides a home for me. God provides everything that I have. And I need to use it for his glory and his purpose. It's only because the of God's love, mercy, and grace that we were given the great gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. And it's only proper that we give thanks continually. Not just on, on the communion Sunday, but continually giving thanks to him. The bread and the cup were already blessed, but they were gifts from God's. The blessing was given unto the Father who provided the bread. The word spoken by Jews during the Passover, even to these days, it says, Blessed be you, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread out of the earth. So it's not the food we bless when we say grace. God has already blessed it, but what we do is we thank God that he's provided everything for us. And the recognition that nothing we have is apart from him. See, this is the description of the broken bread of life. We must recognize that Jesus was broken and that his, suffering, that his suffering upon the cross was for us. Only then are we ready to receive him unto ourselves. Jesus gave the, then gave the bread to each of his disciples. It was not only necessary to pick up, bless, and then break the bread. None could be eaten unless it was distributed to each one. We're each personally responsible to accept Jesus Christ into our lives. God doesn't have grandchildren. I can't, I can't force you to, to accept them into, into your lives. You need to do that out of your own accord. Just the way you can't force your children to accept Jesus Christ. Or your grandchildren. It's a personal thing. But notice something. Jesus comes to each and every one of us. And speaks to our hearts. And he says, come to me. All you that are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. And you have, we have a choice. We can ignore that. 
Or we could say, yes, Lord, I know that you died for my sins, and I know that you will forgive me of all my sins if all I have to do is ask. People find that so simple, too simple. Don't I have to work for it? Don't I have to do so many credits for it? No, just accept it. And God comes in, he works in your life. He works in our hearts to save us and change us as we allow him to. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Notice, salvation is the gift of God. As God comes into our lives, we are joyful about working and doing the ministry and doing what he has called us to do. I tell people this often because it's, it's my testimony. When God first came to me as I was praying one day and says, I want you to be a pastor. My first words out of my mouth was, no, you don't. I had an argument with the Lord. How do you do that? But God finally convinced me. And it wasn't just one day. It was several days in prayer. I, I, I said, Lord, I can't do this. I know, how, I know how parishioners treat pastors. I've been a parishioner. <laughs> I know. But he says, I want you to be a pastor. I went up to my wife, and she was cooking dinner in, in the kitchen. And I said, I think God wants me to be a pastor. And she goes, what took you so long? I believe God prepares the couple. He doesn't just prepare me. If she said something else, I said, okay, I can wait. And that's one of the things that when I went through my ordination and through my licensing, that's one thing they asked me on the board and asked her on the board. Is she on board? It's important that we both be in the ministry together. And I, I, tell, I tell everybody that she may not have the credentials that I do, but she's the real pastor. She has such faith, and she prays for me constantly. But see, God comes to us each individually and says, Here I am, and Revelation 3.20 says this, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and I'll commune with that person. Isn't that something? Jesus himself will commune with us. The God of the universe. Isn't that awesome? Then Jesus took the cup, gave thanks, and said to drink all of it. The cup was representative and still is of all the suffering and the blood that would be shed for our sins. There are those that say, I don't like Christianity, but it's too bloody. Because it's too bloody. It's a bloody religion. I say, thanks God for the shed blood of the Lamb. Without the blood, there is no remission of sin. Without the blood, my sin cannot be washed away. Without the blood, I cannot be made whiter than snow. Without the blood, there is no blood atonement. Without the blood, I have no hope. Thank you, Jesus, for giving your life's blood for me. 
that trickled down. It wasn't the broken body that brought me salvation. It wasn't the stripes in Pilate's Hall. It wasn't even the cross itself. All those are vastly important in the overall picture of things. But if the cross could save me, anyone could have died on it. If stripes could have saved me, any prisoner could have been born, can born them. If a broken body could save me, I could claim an accident victim as my savior. If any one of these things could save me, I could have claimed, I could save myself and take glory in my own sacrifice. But no, it was none of these things. It was the blood of the perfect lamb, the perfect lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. The blood of the lamb, the blood of Jesus Christ that saves me and nothing else nothing else it is only through the blood of the lamb of god we can be saved that's why jesus said to drink all of it that's why that's the same thing that god told the israelites with the lamb eat all of it and then he goes to the disciples drink all of it drink all of it you know i want to receive all of christ i want the blood of the atonement to wash me thoroughly don't leave any sin in my heart. Cleanse me and make me whole. Let me be seen perfect in the eyes of the Father because he only sees me through the blood of the Lamb because of salvation. And he also continually, my desire is that he continually cleanses me and make me perfect by his sinless blood that was shed out for us on the cross. Just as Jesus gave thanks for the cup, I am so thankful for the blood that was shed for me. I thank God for sending his only begotten son to die for me. I thank God he loved me, even when I was unlovable. I thank God that he had mercy on me when I did not deserve it. I thank God that he works with me, even when I'm disobedient. And I'm doing what he says. Sometimes I picture God... When I do my own thing, I picture God just shaking his head saying, Tom, 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 Tom. But he never leaves me. He always works with me. He always leads me into the path of righteousness. I'm so thankful for that. But to me, communion is even deeper. In 1 Corinthians 10, 16 through 17, it says, The cup of blessing which we bless... Is it not communion? The blood of Christ, the bread which we break, is it not communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of the one bread. See, the word communion here is quinonia in the Greek. It means intimate fellowship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But it also means int intimate fellowship with one another. As we commune together in communion. You see, we come here as different people. We have different mindsets. We come from different cultural backgrounds. We come with different likes and dislikes. But when we come here, we have one purpose and one mind. That's Jesus Christ. We leave everything out, at least we should, Leave everything outside the doors, all our differences, and say, we serve a risen Savior. 
And he's the only one we're going to serve today. That doesn't mean we forget about our differences, but we put them aside and we say, I love you, brother or sister, because you are Christ, and I am Christ, and we're the same. We have one focus. Well, that's what it means to take the, the bread and the cup seriously as we worship and honor the king. As we get ready for communion, let me read 1 Corinthians 11, 23-30. Paul says this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until it comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Wow, there's a spiritual sense to this. We need to take communion seriously. When I take communion, I get before the Lord and I say, God, have I sinned against you? Reveal it in my life. Do I have anger against my, my brother or sister? Is there something in my life keeping me from a relationship with you? I want to know about it. And I want you to bring it to my attention. Do I have anger in my heart? Unforgiveness? I'm going to ask you this question. Do you have anger or unforgiveness in your heart this morning? I think it's important that we examine ourselves. Paul said it in another place in 2 Corinthians. To examine ourselves. Because it's important to realize that as we examine ourselves, not in a negative way, but asking God to show us what needs to be out of our lives. God will do it. God will reveal it to us. Sometimes we don't like him to reveal it to us because it shows the hidden darkness of our hearts sometimes or the areas that we have closed off to him. And he says, I want that part of your heart. No, I don't want to give it to you. But he says, I need that part of your heart. When God asks us to go and talk to someone or call someone on the phone and we walk away, I'm only saying that because I have personal experience with that. I've done that. Maybe you need to ask forgiveness. Let's take a moment now. Let's bow our heads. If you need to ask forgiveness, do it now. Ask God, forgive me. If you have not accepted Jesus Christ into your heart and life, say, Jesus, forgive me for my sins. I want to follow you. Come into my heart. I know your love is immense for me. And I want to follow you. It's just a simple prayer. Jesus, 
I love you. Please come into my heart. And he will. And he'll begin working with you, changing you. And if you're listening online this morning, I'm glad you joined us. And you should continually interact with the church because the church will help us, help you grow, help you mature. I don't know anybody that's really grown in the Lord that's not connected to a fellowship. We need to be connected to one another. Because that's what communion is all about, being connected to one another. But being connected to the source, which is Jesus Christ. Amen.